It's time to accelerate. Hey, friends, this is Andy. Welcome to episode 519, 519 of Accelerate, the sales podcast of record, where I hold in-depth conversations with today's leading experts in sales, marketing, and leadership six days a week. Now, if you'd like to see the show notes for this episode, go to andyfall.com forward slash 519. There you'll find a time-stamped breakdown of this and all the conversations on Accelerate. So if you're listening and heard a point you want to go back and check out in more depth later, here's the place to do it, andypaul.com forward slash 519. Now, if you like this show, it really help us out. If you subscribed, left us a review, you can do that all with the podcast app on the phone you're using to listen to this podcast. So go ahead, hit pause, subscribe, leave us a quick review. We really want to know what we can do to make this a more valuable experience for you. And then come right back. I'll be waiting for you. Joining me on the show for the first time is Andrew Sinclair. Andrew is the founder of Lane 4. Lane 4 is an account-based sales and marketing application, which bridges the gap between marketing automation and salesforce.com. So we're going to talk about account-based marketing. And even though ABM is an account-based strategy, we're also going to talk about what Andrew sees as the importance of leads in ABM. So Andrew Sinclair, welcome to Accelerate. Thank you. So where, where are you today? You're in Canada? Yes, based in uh, based in Toronto, but uh, kind of home away from home is the Bay Area. Uh, I just got back from about a two week trip there. Home away from home. So, ever tempted to come join America? Uh, sometimes uh, it, it's nice. <laughs> it's nice to visit. Um, political scenarios, political <laughs> not, circumstances not aside, <laughs> yeah. um, it is, it's nice to get down there and uh, yeah, we've toyed with it a little bit here and there, but putting down. But we found that uh, you know, the majority we can do, we can do majority of the work we do, we can do from anywhere. So, all right. So let me jump right into it. So I've got sort of standard question I ask a lot of my guests here at the beginning of the show is, in your mind, I mean, you're you're in the sales space. I mean, what what's the single biggest challenge you find sales reps, sales professionals facing today? So uh, the biggest challenge that. I've, I'll separate it between reps and management. Sure, um, that's fine. And I think I think it's still that there's still that tension between management kind of having the we need to know what's going on uh, in the field kind of question. And I still get that a lot. Having basically a lot of our work is to support um, strategic sales operations, and inside that you get a lot of like we just need to know this, we need to track this, we need to you know, forecast this and whatnot. And that, those are still the general challenges from the management side. And I still think that there's that overall difficulty on the rep side of just feeling like you just got to go into systems and just bang in all your stuff. Right. And you got that and you still have that debate between how much time should be selling and how much time should you just be doing your administrative stuff. So being kind of an ops guy, as you can kind of see from the answer there, <laughs> uh, it's, yeah, That's I didn't hear. I, I didn't, I didn't hear the word customer in there anywhere. So yes, you're a sales ops guys. Yeah, um, but I mean, it still is, is a fundamental issue. I think, and we'll we're going to dig into CRM as we come up. But it's it's also I think this perception still is. I think you're alluding to of of reps are seeing CRM as a burden and management seeing it as sort of a command and control tool. Yeah, and I, I think that that's still the case. And I think you can see it in the subtle terms and the words that people use. Uh, when management's doing nothing but using words like track and you know report and measure right. and whatnot, it's really not trying to sort of facilitate or try to make things a lot easier for, say, a rep. 
So for example, what I like to try to do is try to follow kind of end of job approaches to things. So if we can give, you know, sales rep the ability to cut a sales order in, you know, two clicks, then you can use that interaction to record a whole bunch of data. So now the, now the perspective is a little bit different. Now the rep's not actually entering data, they're cutting a sales order, right. which they need to get out to their, to their customer. Right? right. So it's those kind of mind shifts and perspectives that we try to apply to things, but uh, unfortunately still don't always happen. Right? Yeah. So what do you think is sort of the, the one behavior that has to change that in this regard that that would make a difference on, well, on, both, that, on both management and, and the individual contributors part? Sure. I think, I think the, the, the challenge is trying to get systems and technology to facilitate what people do. And I know that um, on, the, on this podcast, uh, you talk a lot about sort of getting ROI out of tools, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that's part of the challenge is that we stick tools in front of people and we kind of expect it to just kind of work. <laughs> and and I, I think that what? The, that's the biggest challenge of facilitating, right? Because tools really work to facilitate what someone does. And if they're just stuck in front of people, they don't always do anything. And we, we ultimately, we dissolve back into this, this granular idea of just track your stuff, right? And that's where we end up at. And that's what management really wants. So Yeah, I think part of the issue, though, too, is, is, is what we want the tools to do is to support somebody else's vision other than sales of what, what it is they should be doing, right? And and to me that, that seems like there's that's always sort of at odds a little bit. You know, the sales rep says, "Well, hey, this is the process we should be using to selling this sell. This looks more effective." But you know, we're setting up this process and our tools that says, "No, we do it this way." And it seems like we lack alignment that way oftentimes. Yeah, I think there is, and I think especially you see that in a highly scaled type company where they grow really fast, and then you get you know the separations between sales management and the the actual field starts getting bigger and bigger. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, so let's talk about your company, Lane 4. So tell us about Lane 4. What, what was the impetus to start this company? Yeah, so Lane 4 itself is based on my consulting company that I've been running for several years now. Uh, the consulting side, we primarily focus on supporting funded startups. So that's where I say sort of the Bay Area is the, the home away from home, uh, support a whole slew of companies out there. And we've, we've been following a lot of pattern processes that people had. So four years ago, we started building out tools that would just help people use Salesforce and just kind of make it easier to use uh, and whatnot. Lo and behold, those were the things that people are calling ABM today. Um, well, when you're saying make it easier to use, in what dimension? So when, when I mean easier to use, I mean, uh, this. we'll get into these sort of conversations about like what's a lead and a contact and an account and all this data and it sits around there. And there's, you know, we try to keep it, we were, we were implementing approaches for, say, marketers to report on influence on, say, an opportunity. Mm-hmm. Or we've got you know, use cases where we do try to do things like instead of have to have someone just manually click on stuff, we try to infer things from various other actions. You know, these sorts of automated processes just to make right. Salesforce a little easier and a little less cumbersome and a little you know, a burden. So inside, that, that spawned the idea of this Lane 4 package, which does things like account-based lead routing. So we the emphasis of that was not actually an account-based anything. It was uh, really just, yeah, you had a trade show list, right? You got customers on a trade show list. We want to filter them out. Uh, you want to make sure that if you got some named accounts, the lead goes to that person. Uh, these are the types of problems we were solving you know, several years ago. And today, they've been rolled into this one sort of umbrella package, which uh, we're calling Lane 4, uh, designed and now really designed to make implementing an ABM strategy much easier. 
right. uh, do suite of tools that are in there. Okay. Well, let's back up just a second. So, yeah, it, certainly it seems like the function of a lot of the the new sales technology tools that have that come in the market really sort of play this role of of I don't know. They're a layer that sits on top of Salesforce that, in many respects, make it easier for the individual rep and individual contributor manager even to to interact with Salesforce, right? And you've sort of taken a what I understand is really a different approach in terms of of uh, not having a bolt on application, but but more writing within a native Salesforce app. Now, tell people what the difference is there. Sure. So we fundamentally feel from our core that the account, and when I say account, I mean sort of capital A Salesforce account record kind of idea, and that's your system of system of record for your account based strategy, right? Mm-hmm. So that's where you've that's where you've gone out to various sales tools. You've discovered where these you know. Your, your top hundred or your top five thousand or whatever the number is, and they now reside there, and they, that's where they're mastered. So when you start getting into scenarios like uh, trying to pull that information into something that layers on top, uh, creating a play that may or may not be even in Salesforce, all this kind of stuff, you end up with these disjointed scenarios where you don't really know what's going on within that organization and that that account you're trying to target, which defies a lot of the logic that you're trying to get to with an account-based strategy. So, for example, for, for example, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. the reason being bolted sort of in the guts inside Salesforce tries to solve scenarios like I had a good working session with someone yesterday, where the problem was she was trying to figure out what is marketing's what is marketing's influence on an opportunity the big major account. What was the SDR's activity going on within the big major account? Uh, so how many meetings were they booking, et cetera, et cetera? The original deal came from a partner channel. Uh, which has nothing to do with ABM kind of ideas. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. From Partner Channel was the original deal. The SDR actually prospected a subsidiary account, and then the deals got rolled into one. And then the AE owned the whole thing, right? So these kind of real-world use cases need to be solved in, in various ways, and then you, you kind of have to build your tools within that ecosystem of information uh, to still be relevant to scenarios like that one. And why couldn't some of the others, you know, the, what I call the bolt-on bolt on tools, why couldn't they handle that? Well, they, they can. They just attempt to, uh, they attempt to write to the system kind of ultimately at the end of the day, you end up with every time you have a new data set, you've got new challenges to maintain these data sets. So if you've got a mark, so for example, there's the, some marketing systems are popping up with their own kind of idea of accounts. And that's really no longer the system of record for an account. Right. So when, when, as soon as one of those accounts becomes, say, a customer, well, Salesforce is the one that knows they're a customer. And if that, if that information is still sitting in some other tool, well, that tool now has to find out they're a customer. So you've got a lag effect that ends up happening that just uh, is, let's just say it's not as efficient as it could be. And then, and then causes some problems of things like, well, sending an email to a prospect uh, that's actually a customer. Okay. All right. So, I thought what sort of interesting observation you had and something you'd written about about uh, sort of what I the conclusion I drew from it was that you know if you're an organization you've got a Salesforce instance and you're layering these these tools in your stack on top of it that that you're looking at Salesforce sort of as just a utility as opposed to a you call it the core engine of your organization. Seems like a pretty significant difference in perspective. Well, that's that, that's that debate I was mentioning earlier about the tracking database. When it's nothing but a tracking database, and you just go put your stuff in there. Well, yeah, it's it, it's just a utility, right? It's it, you you plug it into some data and you're pulling it out and whatnot. 
But what what we're on the consulting side of our business, we're really proud of some of the organizations we worked with where we've been able to establish a really tight lineage between what marketing activities look like. And they're able to use that as a core source of information. And then that can flow right through to, you know, being able to cut that sales order through one click because all the data is there. Maybe you're enriching it through some data provider. So now you're not actually typing in that information. Mm-hmm. Now you're able to cut the sales order out. Now you're able to then flip that to invoicing. Either that's a third party system or we've worked with some of the uh, actual accounting tools that are built right in Salesforce. Right. So when all of a sudden it becomes that like, you know, beating heart of the entire organization, it's really that thing that everyone looks to, to like manage, really manage the organization. And rather than just trying to stick a bunch of information there because some management person told them they had to do that. Got it. Got it. All right. So you say there's sort of four prototypical processes that you really help manage. So first one is lead assignment or a group of things, lead assignment, account matching, time to follow up. So we sort of talked about lead assignment a little bit, but why don't you get into it a little bit more and then tell us how you really help with the, how that leads to a improved follow-up time. Yeah. So we also believe we, uh, on the management side, we also do believe what gets measured can be managed. So what a lot of people are, are starting to do, and we're starting to see things like five minute SLA type uh, policies coming out to SDR sure. teams from Mark, sure. these sorts of things, right? So we need to be able to figure out a, that lead, and we'll, we'll get into the idea of what's a lead and what's an account and what's a prospect and all this kind of stuff in, in a bit. But the, assuming we've got some sort of lead and assuming we can actually get it to the right rep, well, now we want to put some onus on that rep to do something, right? Marketing's done their job and they've created that MQL. It's now there. So now, hey, I want to know how long it took you to actually do something with that record. And whether that's, you know, firing that through an SDR sales tool, just what did you do to actually make sure that you engage with that person that showed up? And so how are you capturing the, the time on that? Well, we just, you know, it's that, and that becomes like, that's what I mean by we're kind of a under the cover system where we want to just make it easy. So we, we will grab the time that that happened. We'll then take a look at the business at, you know, the business hours of that SDR, make sure that that SDR isn't, you know, if the lead comes in at midnight, we don't expect them to just, you know, send an email at 1201 at night, they're going to do that in the morning. So we will track those things in business hours. But you'll do that automatically. So that information yeah. then is reportable back to a manager. Say, look, this is our average follow-up time, for instance, on a lead that comes to, a, let's say, an inbound lead that comes to an SDR. Oh, absolutely. Without question. I mean, we, we fundamentally believe that you should not you should not ask a person to do anything if you can track it automatically. Yeah, and I'm sort of digging a, digging a second point, which is that for all these things that you're asking people to do is that you're going to measure how long it takes them to do it. Yeah. Yeah. And if you, and I, I think that there's a, there's a, just like marketing people have this idea of every single piece of data you have in a form is kind of like currency. So every piece of information you want from someone, you have to have more value on the other side. So we think that if we're going to service up, you know, piece of a lead or something like that to you very, very quickly, well, now we're going to have some expectations that you do something with it. Now you're going to, there's going to be some expectations that you're going to close it out. And then that gives us the tracking need and gives you that, you know, that hot lead really fast. Mm-hmm. Okay. So the second thing you talk about is account creation and you talk yeah. about that fitting into your segmentation models. Uh, so again, dive into that just a second. Yeah. So that's the, the, really that's the pillar of, you know, account-based strategies, right? Is to, to understand target accounts and to have a model around that to say, Hey, these are the organizations that fit 
who, what we're doing, whether that's sort of a predictive algorithm, if you will, around um, related accounts, or if that's just raw heavy lifting of saying, hey, you know, we're, we're good with this employee size and this industry and so on. We want to make sure those are there and we want to surface up enough information so that sales operations can do things like, hey, how many customers do we have in the Bay Area and what does that really look like? And how many customers do we have on the East Coast and the West Coast? And then allowing people to start making good decisions on things like, should we be have more reps on the West Coast? Should we, you know, should we just put one rep in all of Canada, which I know people still do. <laughs> um, this kind of stuff. So being able to actually- Well, hey, there aren't that many people there, right? That's what they're saying. No, I know. Well, we're not we're not the population of California. No. <laughs> right. So it must be as easy to get around all of Canada as it is all of California. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. three thousand, four thousand miles notwithstanding. Yeah. Okay. And then uh, opportunity creation. It seems like this is one you think is the most important. Yeah, and this is this is where you get into the heart of the different uh, reporting models and, and forecasting models of organizations. And when you're looking at and that's really subjective to how the organization does things. I, th I think what's kind of interesting about what Salesforce is doing is you're starting to see a little bit more standardization as people are being drawn to, you know, their CPQ tools, and there's a there's a bit more standardization now with with how people are managing things, especially when you get to things like MRR and ACV and all this kind of stuff. I think what it, it is always interesting to look under the covers and realize that Salesforce, as a product, sells widgets better than they sell subscription services. Mm -hmm. When um, Salesforce themselves were a subscription service. So it's always one of those interesting right. quirks of a company that makes a product doesn't always use the product in the way they need to. So it's about making sure that that system does generate the forecasting and uh, the data that you expect. Well, and so one of the key things that you talk about up front that seems like it is an issue, and I certainly have seen it companies, is, is having a shared definition of what an opportunity is. Yeah, so one of the things that you got to figure out is like, is your opportunity a meeting? Some people will just be the, you know, you start at a meeting. Right. And sometimes people are saying, well, it actually starts at uh, you've had a demo, key let's say, right. advanced course and things like that are all achieved and whatnot. So just understanding what that is, is something that needs to permeate its way back through the whole organization, because if marketing is going to say, hey, look, we created all these opportunities. Well, that's got to be in the context of what an opportunity actually is. So when you're working with organizations and what does that process look like in terms of helping them define what constitutes an opportunity that they can all agree on. Well, I think, I think that goes back to what you're actually measuring because if you want to, if you're a type of organization where you've got a tighter sales cycle, it's going to last, you know, six to 12 weeks or something like that. You're probably going to have a very early cycle kind of opportunity. That's going to say, you know, we, we know that we're going to close like 12% of our meetings are going to turn into actual deals. So that's your frame of reference in terms of what you're going to pack into an opportunity. Well, that's kind of where we need to start. If you're the type of organization where, you know, we're, we're looking more like it's a 12 month type timeline. Well, you probably need some other data points in there. Well, you, you're going to have multi-touch. You're going to have 16 meetings. You're going to have different meetings with various stakeholders. So you get a lot into very meeting management type stuff where you need to record those kind of engagement and touch points and next steps and what have you to, to know that it's actually progressing in a direction that you're, you're hoping. Now, there's a lot of tracking things I just said there, which uh, is tough, especially when the, uh, the deal cycles get longer and then you're expecting reps, you know, put stuff in there. But Well, and that's, a, that's a critical question, though. Is so how do you track that, especially when it gets longer? Because, yeah, yeah we know a couple things happen. The longer the deal gets and the more complex it gets is that you know, processes become less well-defined, the steps taken, you know, stages become less distinct and less, 
relevant perhaps to the deal than they were in something that's more tightly defined, like a you know a six week sales cycle. So how are you helping companies in that regard sort of track that? And 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 time is a, a key factor of that, right? So you know the amount of time that's being invested, really to me, I'd want to know that because to me ultimately that's that's the real driver of productivity. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, there's a bit of a holy grail of. Um sales ops measurement of where reps are actually spending their time and if they're spending them on deals or not. Uh, hasn't yet happened. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking there may be some predictive engine out there at some point that will take, you know, all your Google calendar data and start figuring out what you're actually doing um, and relate that to the actual deals. Doesn't, unfortunately, it doesn't exist yet. So I think I'm also a bit of a pragmatist when it comes to these things. And there's some good old fashioned just sales that gets involved in there too. And good old fashioned just weekly sales meetings to go over your commit pipeline, uh, then go over what you've got in your forecast and all this kind of stuff. I think we, we gravitate sometimes to tools are going to solve our problem. And I've seen like the, the number of sales process methodology tools that I've been presented to over the years are, uh, they're, they're, they're crazy. There's the dozens, there are hundreds of them. Hundreds. And, yes. Yeah. And, and the, the challenge with them is they, they all try to be predictive. They all try to just sort of tell you and, and, and they ignore the fact that sometimes it just takes good old fashioned weekly meetings and go through your, your funnel and just make sure it's looking good and track your next steps. You know? well, but that's, that's like heresy these days, right? I mean, it's, it's, we've got all this data. The data must be predictive. I know. And I think that what we really need to keep in mind when we're talking about systems is, is, the, is, is adoption curves, right? Like, what are you actually going to get adopted? And I think that some of the predictive analysis tools kind of lost sight of that. And then what you ended up with, and I've implemented these myself, what you end up with is a predictive score field on an account or an opportunity that doesn't necessarily mean anything to anybody. It's just something that, say, a marketing person said, hey, we want to know kind of the predictive score of an account, so we'll target more of those. But then nobody paid any attention to actually realize that that number was right. <laughs> right? So we buy the tools, we, we drop them in there, and we don't really follow up on them. We don't really care about their adoption. And then we end up resulting back to good old-fashioned sales, which is just that weekly meeting, and let's look at our pipeline and see how things are going. Well, but that's not necessarily a bad thing. No, absolutely not. And I, I mean, think that that's part of that ROI conversation as well, about where some of these tools fall down, is that they, they don't necessarily track a clear day-to-day what, what someone is actually doing in their day, and try to try to achieve that something better than a weekly sales meeting can actually get you. Yeah, it's sort of interesting this whole whole topic of of data and and the predictive power of predictive analytics cuz oh, there's a you know an anecdote coming that was in um, the new book that was written about Hillary Clinton's campaign called Shattered and talking about how the campaign had basically been run her campaign run by uh, political technocrats if you will or technologists who you know, had you know, complete faith in the data and the model and the algorithms to predict the future and completely discounted sort of the human aspect of it, right? Intuition, <laughs> instinct, experience, and so on. And um, you know, the authors are saying, you know, the, the dangers is that you know, data oftentimes translates into authority, and authority becomes certitude, and that therein lies the problem. I, I tend to agree, and if you, especially when you look at something like a you know high growth startup, 
take the prototypical sort of B2B high growth startup that, that we're all sort of talking about when we're talking about ABM models. And you actually take a step back and you realize their total opportunity volume is like 2000 records or 3000 records. Mm -hmm. And then you equate that with someone like, you know, a, a presidential campaign where you're dealing with 30, 40, 60 million data points. Right. And, and they I still think, got it, and they still got it wrong. Yeah, and they still get it wrong, right? <laughs> and I think that we have to be careful on the operation side not to get too enamored into what it, you know, the the consumer style predictive analytics into small data sets. And what are very small data sets? Uh, once you obviously when you grow and you become a big Fortune 500 company and you're running divisions and you've got thousands of ops a, a month, you know these things become more statistically relevant, but. We can't we can't lose sight of the fact that sometimes we don't we're not actually dealing with as much data as we think. Well, and to me, the the other part of it is not just the size of the data sets, but the fact is that you know what we're doing is we're drawing this from humans that you know are hugely unpredictable, right? I mean, there's books written about you know how we we misinterpret the data we get you know based on our interactions with humans and things they do, and I just. Yeah, always, always a little nervous about you know taking sometimes even large data sets like political campaigns. And this example of Hillary Clinton's campaign is perfect, perfect story about that. Is yeah, they had millions of data points, and at one point they talk about in the book, you know, Bill Clinton said, you know, given the impact of what was going on with Brexit, I think we should add a few points onto where we assume Trump is in his poll numbers. Yeah, sort of the rise of populism and the data people said, no, data doesn't support that. So no, <laughs> we'll go down this path with our tactics. And it turned out to be, yeah, there are other factors obviously, but that led to, you know, part of the, the sort of disastrous outcome. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that if you, you you've got to have that good old fashioned sales when you're dealing with systems, you got to remember there are people using these systems. And then if you're going to base your, you know, predictive algorithms on uh, engagement with an opportunity, well, you better have some engagement data to, to pull from. I think one of the, for better or for worse, one of the reasons I've been a big fan of the SDR tools is while they're increasing the amount of volume of email coming out of SDR teams to, to, <laughs> to crazy levels, uh, it, it's finally allowed us to have reliable sort of engagement data on the Salesforce side without having them to like log everything because if it's just automatic well all of a sudden now we have a lot more information to, right. to, to identify right? right and now we can now we can figure out what who's who's a better sdr than someone else now we can figure out if this is actually a really good meeting because we've got some history behind it and i think those are the kinds of tools i'm mostly interested in because and, and if you look at the rapid adoption of those kind of tools is because they really hit that mark of what people actually need to do with the stuff and the information that we actually wanted to always have on the Salesforce side, but could never get to because we required reps to go in there and click a button and type some notes and et cetera, right? Yeah. So I think the only thing that's sort of, not the only thing, but one of the things that, that's unanswered, though, about these tools are, if you had to do it without the tools, would you have different outcomes? Yeah. And I think that that's a difficult thing to do, right? Because in business, we don't tend to actually A-B test scenarios. You don't, you, don't, you don't really put eight SDRs and don't give them the SDR tool and you have eight SDRs and you give them the SDR tool and you figure it out six months later. Unfortunately, it would be great if we could do that, but it just for whatever reason, people don't seem to have that kind of testing discipline within organizations, right? Yeah, or, or vision perhaps. Yeah, I think it's, 
You know, uh, and, and one of the anti-patterns, and, I, and I, this is this I truly believe, because I, I know you're a big proponent of the the sort of sales tech and whatnot needs consolidation. And I think I think there's definitely been an anti-pattern that's popped up in the in the space where you do get this, you know, throw a tool in there, let people look at it, let people use it, and then all of a sudden there's a better SDR tool, and everyone's migrated over there, and let's just go use that one now. And I, I think that those kinds of patterns are problematic to say the least, because it does create that scenario of, you know, just at, at, the, at a baseline, unreliable data sets. Like you're no longer tracking the same thing between mm-hmm. tools. Now mm-hmm. You don't have the same kind of, you don't have consistency anymore. Right. Uh, you also, you're moving your people around all the time, right? You're telling them, oh, we're using this data provider. And then three weeks later, you're on another one. And then you're on some forecasting tool, which some people liked. And then you're on another one, and now the numbers are slightly different. And I think that just it creates a lot of um, chaos when operational models really do need to be fairly consistent, and adapting them, you know, takes time. Yeah, or even a more micro level. I mean, so you sort of start at the macro level, and you with the examples you just gave, but you start working down to okay, well, you've got you know a team of ten SDRs, and five of them are spending a lot of time personalizing each of the messages that goes out, and five aren't. Right, so it's even at that level we get you know the way the tools are being used by the individuals has a huge impact on the data set as well. Yeah, yeah, and I think we haven't really got disciplines yet to figure out which ones of those are being personalized and which ones are not, and and we don't yet have the tools and whatnot to figure to then see what the downstream impact of that is. We're just kind of doing gut analysis around that at this yeah. point. Yeah. All very interesting. Well, Andrew Sinclair, we've run to the end of the show. So tell folks how they can find out more about uh, Lane 4 and about and connect with you. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, find me on LinkedIn. It's the best place to, to get me, Andrew Sinclair. There's a lot of us out there, so you might have to poke around a bit. Um, I mean, after, your, or just, uh, after, after the backslash, is it just Andrew Sinclair? Or? Uh, yeah, it should be. Uh, okay. And then otherwise, uh, look us up on uh, lane4data.com and find out all about what we're doing in the product. Okay. And if people want to connect with you, just LinkedIn? Yeah, or just uh, easiest ways, just Andrew at laneforddata.com. Perfect. Uh, or, uh, yeah, LinkedIn's great. Perfect. All right, Andrew, thank you very much. Friends, thank you for spending this time with me again today. Come back, join me again tomorrow. Actually, seven days a week, we got something for you here on Accelerate. Uh, until then, um, thanks for joining me. And until next time, this is Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone. 